Good afternoon. My name is Mike, if we haven't met before. Uh, I'm one of the elders here. Um, great to be with you this afternoon, if we haven't met. Um, we're continuing on in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, as Stephen mentioned. Um, and just as we do, it's time for the little kids to head out to their groups. Um, so if the minis, the older kids want to head out that way, the tinies head out this way um, with your leaders. Um, as they head out, if, can I suggest that you take up your Bibles? If you haven't got a Bible, if you'd like a Bible, please take up a hand in the air and someone will bring a Bible over to you. Um, and if you could turn to Matthew chapter 7. Great. So Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and today we're in, starting at verse 15. Let me read it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, a bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you're recognizing. Let me lead us in a prayer uh, as we come to God's word. Father, we're so grateful that we have access to your word today, that you can speak to us today by your living and active word. Father, Please, by your spirit, show us what you speak of here this afternoon. This stuff's hard. As we draw near to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this stuff is really hard. But pray that your spirit would help us to see why it's so important, why it matters, why we need to hear it. And pray for our children too. Pray that as they study more about Jesus and who he is as our king, that they would learn of the beauty and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would all learn that together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I just mentioned, we're, we're coming to, uh, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew uh, 5 to 7, and we're kind of drawing towards a close, to the conclusion as Jesus brings us in. And Jesus so far has been showing us what it means and what it looks like to live in his kingdom. But as we draw to his conclusion, he starts to give a series of warnings. We're going to be given a series of choices, choices that will mean we either walk in the kingdom of life or in the kingdom of death. And last week, as, as Stephen mentioned, John T. Showed, took us through the passage just before this, that there are two paths, two ways. There is the wide way or the narrow way, the wise way or the foolish way, the true or the false ways to live. The wide way leads to destruction. The narrow way leads to life. And this week, the question is this. Which teaching, which voice will you follow? Will you follow true teaching or false teaching? That is the big question. Now just imagine, um, imagine that we're in a time where we're about to be invaded. Uh, a major threat of invasion. Just stick with me with this. And you're not sure, we're not sure what's going to happen. 
And there are voices out there who are saying to us, hey, you need to be careful. You need to be alert because this stuff's serious. People are really going to come after you. But then there are other voices over here saying, nah, don't worry. It's fine. Just carry on enjoying your life. Nothing's going to happen. Who would you listen to? How would you know? The thing is, this is actually what happened in the history of God's people. It's not the first time. Back in a book called Jeremiah, back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 6, the verses would appear here. What's going on is um, God has said, look, your people are about to be invaded. You're about to be carried off into exile. And there are these prophets who speak. And there are some who are saying, there's Jeremiah who's saying, hey, guys, you need to watch out. You need to listen and pay attention. This is serious. And then there are other people like this. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people, of God's people, as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And Jesus is saying that is going to happen and continue to happen even today. There will be people like this who are called to prophesy. Those are people who are meant to speak, to be vessels for God's word, to speak the truth of God. And Jesus warns not everybody who comes as a prophet will speak the truth. Instead, there will be false prophets who lull God's people into false security. And so Jesus is warning us today in this passage, look, watch out. In other translations, be on your guard. So the question becomes, so okay, how are we to listen to these right voices, to the true voices? How do we make sure we're not going to be derailed by these false prophets and teachers? Many who claim to have truth to teach the Bible. But that's what Jesus is preparing for us here. And what I want to do is I just want to focus on two big things that Jesus highlights and then spend some time thinking about some implications for us at, towards the end. So here's the first big thing that Jesus shows us. Watch out for false prophets because they are ferocious. Watch out for false prophets. They are ferocious. Look at verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So Jesus makes it really clear that there are, there will be false prophets who will come speaking with authority saying, this is what God says. This is how you should live. But they will be false. And notice Jesus, just in that one verse, draws out three particular traits that we'll see about false prophets that we need to watch out for, to be on our guard for. The first is this. Do you see how they come to you in verse 15? They come to us. We we don't need to go looking for them. They are always around and they're coming to seek us out. Which is why Jesus says, be on your guard. In every generation, in every culture, there will always be those around who say, we're speaking the truth of God. But in fact, they're either directly opposed to God's word or they're twisting God's word. And they're going to keep coming for God's people. The second thing we see is their teaching will be dangerous. They're called wolves. Does anyone have a wolf as a pet? No. Wolves attack those that are weaker than themselves. They devour sheep. Why? For their own gain, because they need to fill their own stomachs. They don't care about the destruction they leave behind. And that is a key trait of a false teacher. They will devour and destroy God's people to fill their own stomachs, to boost their egos, to boost their honor, to line their own pockets. It's all about establishing themselves, exerting their power over God's flock. In essence, what they're doing is they're setting up these rival kingdoms against Jesus and using Jesus' name for that. It's horrendous. 
But notice, these aren't just any wolves. They're ferocious, ravenous. They're not sitting there politely, smiling at the table with a knife and fork, going, okay, let's eat. They're prowling around. They're going to pounce on any opportunity they see to tear you to shreds. This is hard stuff because the, the imagery is pretty graphic. But this is serious. Jesus is warning us. You need to pay attention. See, they, they don't come just to merely entice us, but they come to tear God's flock down. Jesus spends loads of time in the Gospels going after the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because those people keep placing millstones around the neck of God's flock. They keep crushing them and burdening them and oppressing God's people. Their yoke is immensely heavy and it keeps God's people ensnared and enslaved. They tear God's people down. But it's not just that. They also tear God's people apart. See, what happens when a ravenous wolf goes among a flock of sheep? The sheep run. They scatter. They run everywhere. That is what false teaching does. It causes confusion. It causes tension and rifts among God's people. Oh, this teaching sounds right. Why aren't you living this way? It starts to turn people to judge one another. This is why false teachers are so ferocious and ravenous. They destroy God's people individually and crush them, but they also destroy them corporately by dividing them apart. But the third problem is the biggest one. Did you see that? They come to you in sheep's clothing. They're going to be really hard to spot. Okay, I just want you to imagine with me for a moment that we are all minions. In case you don't know what a minion is, there they are. Just, okay, just go through it. Who wants to be, who doesn't want to be a minion? It's great fun. Has everyone, everyone seen Despicable Me or? Yeah, most people are nodding. Okay, I love the minions, but I do. All right, it's great. And then you probably might have seen Despicable Me too, where the purple ones come out, the really ravenous ones, they go crazy. And imagine we sit here as minions and there's a rumor that one of us is that purple one. The bad one. But all you see around you is this. Everyone looks like this. How will you ever find the imposter? We can't, right? On the outside, we all look like happy minions. Hey, guru, hello. (laughs) (laughs) Do you see that's... (laughs) Move off the slide now. (laughs) So it's just a bit fun. I love the minions. Anyway, do you see? This is what Jesus is saying. On the outside, false teachers look exactly like the people of God. Jesus says they will come to us in sheep's clothing. It's going to be so hard to tell. The the distinction is inwardly. Did you see that in verse 15? But inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They are smiling and bleating on the outside. But in their hearts they are smirking, they're chuckling. It's so hard to see from the outside just by looking at them. Which is why Jesus goes on. He wants to teach us how to be on, on our guard. How to watch out for such false prophets and teachers. So here's the second big thing that Jesus teaches us. Watch their fruit carefully. Is it good or is it rotten? Watch their fruit carefully. Do you notice Jesus repeats this phrase twice. Verse 16, by their fruit you will recognize them. And look at the bottom, verse 20. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. And here Jesus changes his illustration from sheep and wolves to trees. To make a point. Because trees, they cannot lie. Trees can only produce fruit in keeping with what they are on the inside. An apple tree cannot produce pears. A plum tree cannot produce mangoes. 
More fitting with what Jesus says here, a bad, a poisonous, a rotten tree cannot produce good kingdom fruit. My father-in-law, he's got a, in his back garden, he, he's got a fig tree. It's in Wales. He's got a fig tree. And I was amazed. In Wales, figs can grow. It's incredible. Except last year, it suddenly stopped growing any fruit. So a tree surgeon came around and found that one side of that tree was completely rotten. So they had to tear and cut a piece of that tree down. Now, it could have been years before we ever found that out, but how do we know? Because it wasn't bearing any fruit. See, outwardly, false teachers look just like good teachers. They look like God's people, but inwardly, they are rotten. Verse 16, Jesus even says, do people pick grapes on thorn bushes? They are prickly. They are thorny. So how do we spot false teaching and false prophets? We look at what they produce. Jesus said it's about the inward, the heart. The heart drives who we are. It will ultimately drive what we say. If you're a minion, you will speak like, like that, that's the way you'd speak. Prophets are there clearly to teach. So one of the things we need to look out for is what sort of teaching do they produce? But it's not only what we say, the heart also drives how we live. In light of the Sermon on the Mount and what we've been studying together, it's clear that the truth of God's kingdom should lead to radically different lives. Lives that reflect who God is. So the other aspect to consider is, okay, how do these people live? What sort of fruit do they bear in their lives? The Apostle Paul speaks of this later in 1 Timothy 4. He says to the leaders, watch your life and doctrine or your teaching closely. Those are the two areas we need to look out for. What is the fruit of their teaching? What's the fruit of their living? Here are three things to consider as we look at those things. Here's the first thing. Do they teach Christ? What is the message that they teach? Wolves can only pretend to bleat for a while before you'll actually hear them say, oh, oh, they can't hide it. So as you continue to listen to teachers, does their preaching point to Christ Jesus and him alone? Do they preach clearly about the narrow door that, that we saw last week, that Stephen opened the service with this week? That it's Jesus and him alone that is the narrow door that leads to life. That Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Is that what they teach? Do they preach the message that Jesus came proclaiming? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Do they warn and challenge us of our sin and our idols that draw us away from God and his kingdom? Is their message one of the cross and of repentance where God deals with our sin by placing our sin and his wrath upon his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do they instead add to the gospel that leads to self-righteousness or do they leave things out that leads us into liberalism but it's not only what they teach but where does that teaching take us is their teaching in line with what Jesus preaches does their teaching drive us towards that wide road of destruction that we saw last week you know our culture that's itchy to hear things that we saw in Jeremiah peace peace comfort comfort it's okay, don't worry. God's not going to judge. Of course he doesn't. Forget about the narrow way. You'll be fine. Just, just live life as you, as you want. Or in light of the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been studying together, does their teaching teach us to live more like this kingdom living that we've been seeing for the past few weeks? To bear the fruits of righteousness of God's kingdom, to seek Christ's kingdom and his righteousness first? Or do they instead fixate us on things of this world? 
fixate us more on treasures here than in heaven, in God's kingdom. Can I just say, this is why God's word matters so much for us here as a church. Not just because these are the words of life, but because they also act as a shield. They are the protection, the anchor that we need to keep us drifting from the wide path. That helps us to discern, to gauge whether somebody is teaching falsehood or truth. That is why we take reading and understanding scripture seriously here. These aren't just nice thoughts that, I, that I'm thinking up, but we need to, you need to, as I, as I preach to you, you need to test and, and see, is, is this true? This is why we say, leave your Bibles open, follow along. This is why we want to equip members of our church to be able to read and understand the word of God themselves. We want people to be growing in this. Which is why we run things like Equip. That's why we have midweek focus groups to to read and study together. So I exhort you, take God's word seriously. Because that is a key way to discern whether what these false teachers say is true or not. But it cannot just stop at teaching, at words. Here's the second thing we need to consider. Do they imitate Christ? I've been on the phone a lot with a broadband company recently. I won't name who. Let's call them Merge NVIDIA. <laughs> I can tell you, being a salesperson is a hard job. I, I have to do it in the past. And you've got to make it all sound so good. Hey, you know, this is the best deal for you. Oh, what's, what are you looking for? Here's the package. This, yeah, we can do this, this, and this. But you know what I've learned? Whenever you talk to salespeople, this is what I want to know. Do you use it yourself? Do you have it in your own home? In, what, in other words, I want to know, do you practice what you preach? Watch your life and doctrine closely. See, Jesus' sermon has majored on kingdom living. What does it look like to not only talk about God's kingdom, but to walk in the kingdom? And no matter how hard false teachers try, what they hold to inwardly will play out in what they teach, but also in how they live. Let me ask you, do you know what one of the biggest criticisms Jesus has for the false teachers, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees at the time? He repeatedly calls them what? Hypocrites. Even here in the Sermon on the Mount, if you read through it again, you'll see him calling them out, calling them hypocrites. Because they say and teach one thing, but their lives are completely different. They don't practice what they preach. What's really going on is this. They front and they claim to teach God's truth. But by their lives, they're essentially saying, actually, there's a better way to live than what God says, and that's my way. I'm going to live over here. You guys do your thing that I teach you, but my way is much better. That is what false teachers do. Let let us think about this a little bit more through the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been learning together. In essence, do these teachers look like what Jesus has been preaching about? That's the key question. Do they look like Jesus in how they live? Do they live out the kingdom living that we see outlined in the Sermon on the Mount? So try and remember what we were were working through. Remember, Jesus opened the Sermon on the Mount with the beautiful Beatitudes, the blessings. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are gentle, who are merciful, who are peacemakers. Do you see that sort of disposition of the Beatitudes in the teacher that you listen to? Do they seek righteousness for which they might sometimes even be persecuted? Or do you instead find an air of arrogance, aggression, confrontation? Are they stamping and treading and crushing all over people? That is what false teachers do. 
Jesus goes on. He talks about fulfilling the law and the prophets. What do those teachers look like as they live that out? See, they might faithfully preach on controlling anger, reconciling when you're angry, but does their life look like that? Do you see them in continued unrepentant anger, which they somehow manage to justify as exceptions to the rule of God? They might teach really clearly on lust, but what is their conduct like? Sadly, many have taught and preached truth while remaining in continual sexual immorality, which has caused huge damage to followers. They might preach about integrity and truthfulness, but do you notice a a pattern of deceit, a sense of lying in their lives? Now, if you think about those three things, can I just say, that combination is often seen in false teachers. They are deceitful because of their own lustful hearts, And when you try and call them out, they justify it with anger against accusations as they try and cover over their ravenous behavior. Do you see how it's opposite to the way of the kingdom? Here's another angle to think about it in the the Sermon on the Mount. Whose glory do these false teachers seek? There's something stark about the teachers of the law in the Sermon on the Mount because they are ones who want to impress people through how they pray, how they give, how they fast. They're always standing there going, look at me, look at me. It's always about their glory and not God's. They basically are sitting there broadcasting on social media, wanting to impress as many people and followers as possible. Whose kingdom do they live for? Sorry, that's Flora cooking. Can you hear that? Okay, she's working really hard. Think about material wealth. Do you see them preach on being generous and give and give and and God will be kind to you when actually what you see is them lining their own pockets, growing in their own kingdoms? The health and wealth wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, you know, that, that gospel that says, oh, God will bless you with lots of material things in this world today, now, that is, that epitomizes this. Those teachers teach people to give and give and God will reap rewards for you now. And there they are, flying private jets, living in mansions. Those are more obvious. This is something that I found a bit more subtle that I thought about. That comes from Jesus' call when he calls us not to judge one another. And I wonder if sometimes this happens, where false teachers preach exclusivism, saying, my way is the true way. They teach that beyond the narrow door that is Jesus. Do they take things in scripture that are good and are wise and start to elevate them to law and say, anybody who doesn't live this way that I teach you, then you're wrong. You're not a Christian. Do you see what they're doing? Essentially, they're placing themselves as judge over others. They're displacing Jesus as the judge and saying, I'm the one you need to come and answer to. My point is this. You, You trace through the Sermon on the Mount, you realize there's lots of ways that false teachers can lead us astray. Because the way to destruction is wide. And I've just given some of a few things that we want to be looking out for. Which is why I think it's actually important to add one more question about these teachers. Do they preach Christ? Do they imitate Christ? The third thing I think is really important is do they go to Christ? Look, we all know the standards of God's kingdom is so high. 
Many a faithful teacher will want to live the way Jesus commands. But I know that until Jesus returns, though we are growing and God is making us more like Christ each day in his grace, we are not perfect and at times we will fall short. We will make mistakes. Man, so often I feel like I'm failing in trying to imitate Christ. Think about it. Does it mean that every time a preacher gets angry that they are a false teacher? Not at all. Unless they remain unrepentant and continue in that pattern of anger, justifying themselves outside of Jesus. Essentially what you're seeing with that lifestyle is that they don't sit under the gospel. They aren't living in God's kingdom, but they're living in their own kingdom over here, telling us to do something else. And that is why it's important for us to think about this question. Do they go to Christ? Do they sit under the same gospel that they preached and proclaimed to their hearers? When you look at that teacher's life, do you see a life of repentance? Of one that's so open to admitting that sometimes I mess up and I get things wrong. When people call them out on things, do you see them going to Christ in repentance? Or do you instead see them finding ways to defend themselves, justify themselves, hiding their behavior, or worse yet, evicting those who disagree with them? Do they have a heart of repentance? A gospel-shaped heart that seeks and sits under the grace of God alongside his flock. A heart that says, yes, I am called to teach you, but I teach not out of a place of perfection and completeness, but out of a place where I know I need Jesus as much as you do. See, true prophets, they care far more about seeing you and I draw nearer to Christ than being like them. Because they know Jesus is the only way. That grace is found only in Christ Jesus. They do that because they are filled by Jesus and his gospel. So they have no interest in devouring sheep. They don't need to. They're full already. But false, prophet, false prophets don't. They care more about the growth of their own reputation, their kingdoms. They are ravenous. They need to feed on sheep all the time. To feed their egos, their pockets, their stomachs. Do you see how it works? And in all of this, the fruit question fundamentally becomes, does the fruit in the life of the teacher, does their teaching and their living point back to Jesus? Does it look more like Jesus and do they keep coming to Jesus? That's the key principle Jesus is teaching. And if their fruit of their teaching and their living is non-existent or rotten or even poisonous, then Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard. Now look, our time is limited. There's so much more I could say, but we're limited by time. But let me just close by giving us a few principles. Now, I'm going to warn you, there are six, but they're going to be short and punchy, okay? Um, so stick with me. These are some things I think are really important as we try and discern false teachers. The first is this. We need to be present. No matter how hard a wolf tries to eat grass and wear a woolly jumper, in time, it will, become, it will become really clear that they're much more interested in devouring sheep. Put it another way. Using Jesus' illustration, fruit doesn't grow in a day. It takes time. It takes seasons. In a world where we're so used to instant responses, instant information, if we want to discern and be on our guard against false teaching, we need to spend time with them. Now, this isn't about setting a time limit to say, oh, after three years, you're going to be able to see bad fruit. I've been here two and a half years, so I've got six months left. No, it's more about the ongoing relationship with them. It's to do with the principle of being present. Be around that person. 
Spend time listening to them consistently and repeatedly. What do they teach? Spend time walking alongside them. Watch for patterns in their behavior and their life. What does it look like? It's great that if you, if you listen to podcasts and YouTube sermons, it's great. If there's good teaching out there, there is, lots. But it's so much more important that you belong to a church where you are physically present with the real-life preacher-teacher so that you have time to see what fruit we produce in our lives, what fruit we produce in our teaching. To be present. Here's the second thing. Beware of heresy hunting and naming and shaming. Be careful of that. With a sermon like this, for some of us, it's really easy to slip into that danger Jesus warned us a few weeks ago about judging. See, Jesus' intention here is not an excuse to go out and hunt for false teachers. Oh, who's, ah, there's a false teacher there. The command from Jesus is be on your guard. It's not call out and shame. The point of this passage is about protection for our good, for the sake of God's people, to discern wisely good teaching that leads us to the narrow path rather than becoming obsessed with who is a false teacher and who isn't. The whole point is is teaching us to distance ourselves from those who show that they are false teachers and to warn those whom we love to be wary of them. So beware of that heresy hunting, naming and shaming. Third thing I need to say is this. Disagreements do not always equal false teaching. We need to make a distinction between disagreeing and false teaching. There might be disagreements between things that aren't so clear in Scripture, but be careful that we don't start raising those and saying, well, that means they're false teachers. That is what I was kind of getting at with the point of exclusivism. Some people do this. Churches might agree on things like baptism, on how we take communion, the songs we sing. Those things are important, but if we disagree with them, it doesn't mean that we're false teachers. Focus on what the Bible really places emphasis on. Who is God? Who is Christ Jesus? What do they believe about all that Jesus has done? What does this mean for our salvation? What does it mean for our lives now and into eternity? So just be careful. Disagreements don't equal false teaching. Okay, fourth thing. Don't be anxious as you teach other people. This isn't just about, I think, teachers and preachers who stand here at the front like me. But many of us will be in settings where we teach the Bible to one another. Focus group leaders, smaller settings, one-on-one. And I don't want this, I don't think Jesus wants to strike fear in us to be like constantly thinking, oh man, am I a false teacher? It, It should prompt us to do our utmost to preach and teach God's word faithfully. To ask the Spirit to work in us and grow us in Christ-likeness every day. But remember what I said before. Fruit doesn't grow in a flash, in an instant. It takes time. It's not a one-off thing that suddenly goes, oh, here's a bad fruit straight away because of one mistake. It's a prolonged, continual production of bad fruit as it buds and it grows. And the point is that false teachers do this habitually, continually. And it reveals their ravenous, wolf-like hearts. It's wholly different if you make a little slip-up, a mistake when you're sharing something with someone, when you're teaching. When that happens, we humbly hold up our hands and we look to God's grace and we learn and we work hard to keep learning more about Christ. We need to work hard at understanding God's word and teaching it faithfully, but know God's grace as we do. Right, here's the fifth one. This one's really important. The question for some of us sitting in this room will be, what about those who taught me? 
This is hard because I'm aware in a room this size there will be some of us who will, be, who will have sat under this sort of teaching of somebody who showed the bad fruit that we've seen in this passage. Now you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I'm certain that that person was a false teacher. Or you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not sure, I'm so confused. You might be sitting there wondering, is everything that that person taught completely wrong? At worst, it can cause you to question your faith. I had a conversation with a, a good friend a couple of weeks ago who'd been taught under somebody pretty well known in the British church, but in the last few years had been found out to be wholly ungodly in how they lived. And we started talking about this. Is he a false teacher or is he somebody who's just made a lot of mistakes? Is everything my friend learned from him wrong? We asked, is it wise to be on our guard from his teaching based on what we've seen in his life? And based on what Jesus says here, yeah, I think it's clear to us, and it was clear to us both at the time, that it's wise to keep our distance from his teaching. It's also good to know, verse 19, Jesus says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We don't need to sit there judging. God will do that. My friend did ask him, what about the stuff I learned from the past? My mate looked back and there was loads of good gospel truths that he had learned. And to this, I'd say, we need to trust God's sovereignty, his power over all things. Because God can still use faithful teaching even if the vessel is flawed. That will be of benefit to his people during that period of time. This sounds hard. But consider Judas, who betrayed our Lord Jesus Christ. He was a faithful disciple for a good two or three years. And his fruit was only revealed towards the end. Or Demas, who turned against Paul. There are lots of examples of this in, in the Bible. They both, for a time, taught about God's kingdom with other disciples. Now, do we listen to them now? No, their bad fruit was clear. And yet, for a time, they were used by God. People heard their preaching and their teaching. And in that short time, I think they could still hold to those truths that were revealed to them. We don't need to cancel everything in our faith walk just because we discover this person was teaching us things that were false through their lives as a false prophet. We need to trust God's sovereignty in things that are faithful and true, despite the vessel. Now having said that, it doesn't make things easy, does it? Because life and teaching aren't always easy to pull apart. My friend said there were things that he saw in that teacher's life that were wholly ungodly, that still skew a lot of what he remembers from his teaching. That's why we need one another. By God's grace, the wider church has grown in awareness of this stuff. There are loads of places to go to. There are more books about this. There are talks about this stuff. Um, The FIC is one of the networks we're a part of. They've done a lot of stuff on, on spiritual abuse, and there are resources out there that will help and support you. But more than that, I'd say we as a church need to be aware of that sort of pain and hurt. There will be many wounded sheep who will be looking to find safety. And we need to look out for those people and support them and pray with them, walk with them. And can I say, if this sermon is affecting you, if it's bringing things up, then please come and talk to, to me or find one of the, the elders or the leaders. Pray with somebody you trust. Use the prayer team afterwards. We'd love to pray through uh, this sort of stuff because it's really not easy. And actually, that's why I want to end the sermon here. Rather than being sucked into all this negative stuff about false teaching, 
The last thing I want to say is we need to look to Jesus. Look, after a sermon like this, you can feel really overwhelmed. You can sit here wondering, man, I've got to watch out for so many things. How can I ever listen to a sermon properly again? You might even be sitting here critiquing my points left, right, and center, going, oh, is Mike a false teacher? <laughs> I pray I'm not. But my prayer is this, that this sermon would actually drive us all the more to Jesus, to seek him, to imitate him. And in that, as we see more of the beauty of Jesus, we would look for teachers who help us to see him, to follow him, who look like him. Because let me remind you, in Jesus we have the prophet, the great teacher, who never spoke falsely. Who is the truth. In Jesus, you look at his life and he lived out meekness, being poor in spirit, being gentle, kind, thirsting for righteousness. All the beatitudes, he lived those out perfectly. He thirsted for righteousness even to the point of death on the cross where he hung and said, I thirst. As he took on our unrighteousness and gave us his. We trust in the great teacher, the great prophet who lived out and fulfilled everything the law and the prophets commanded perfectly. Here's Jesus who was never lustful. Here's Jesus who never was angry for his own gain but always for the glory of God. Here's Jesus who always spoke perfect truth, who never judged out of spite, who turned the other cheek when it was so easy for him to rain judgment on those who falsely accused him. Here's Jesus who loved his enemies even to die on a cross for them. That is the great teacher, the great prophet that we trust and follow. Jesus is the gate, the way, the truth, and the life. He's all about seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness. And he wants to make sure that we walk that narrow path continually as we follow Jesus. And so as a, you know, for me, reading a passage like this, I was like, man, this is hard. But hopefully you see how it drives us to Jesus, to look to him. And I pray that rather than making us freeze and get anxious, that it would drive us to seek Jesus all the more. That we will keep seeing the beauty of the fruit of Jesus' life. And that we would long to see that sort of fruit in the lives of one another, in our own lives. That we would long to listen to him through scripture all the more. That, the, that we would desire and pray that our lives would reflect this life of the kingdom that Jesus has been teaching us. So as we grow in Christ Jesus, through that we'll be able to discern false teaching and false prophets all the more carefully. Can I make one final plea? That we need to pray. As a church, pray for those who teach the Bible. Pray for us as elders. Pray for focus group leaders. And not just us. Let's look wider. Pray for leaders of other churches that you know. That they will sit under the gospel and that they will teach it faithfully and, cl and clearly. And that let's pray for the future that many more would be raised up to preach Christ, to imitate Christ, and go to Christ. And through that, that we would see God's church and his kingdom growing continually and that we will be protected from the false teaching that we can see around us. Let's pray together. Father, we... This stuff, it can be really hard. But we thank you that Jesus does love us to warn us, to be aware, to watch out for false prophets and false teaching. Father, pray as we, as we hear sermons like this that it would drive us to see the beauty and wonder of Jesus all the more, that we want to sit at his feet all the more, 
to seek him, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That through that we would pray for those who do teach the Bible, that they will be those who imitate Christ, who go to Christ, who preach Christ. Father, pray that will shape our own lives and our own hearts. Pray that we as a globe church would grow in our adoration of Jesus and in our Christ-likeness. Father, help us to keep teaching one another these truths and growing together in these truths so that your kingdom and your glory would be made known across this city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.